Wolf, get away from those sheep. Bollocks. You're listening to the Wolf and the Shepherd podcast. Broadcasting from Fort Worth in the great state of Texas. Now, get ready for this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Welcome to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Today, we have with us May Deavy. May, glad you could join us. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, May, for coming on the show. Been trying to get you on for a while. I follow you on Instagram and you live a very interesting life. Uh, you're very <laughs> serious in terms of committed to what you do, but you also seem to have a lot of fun, a lot of fun with everything. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's been an intentional practice to bring some fun into what can sometimes be serious work. It doesn't always have to be serious. It can be fun sometimes. Now, for the benefit um, of our listening audience, if you can give a little bit of your background about yourself right up until you kind of met the world you know of hypnotherapy and aromatherapy which I have to mention those words even though we didn't have them in the title just because we've got uh, quite a big dyslexic following and they have no clue what they're clicking on when they see the titles they just click on the logos. Fair enough uh, and to be honest uh, a career of hypnotherapy and aromatherapy is probably foreign and unknown to a lot of people so I'm pretty used to explaining myself, um, but thanks for the invitation. So I am a certified hypnotherapist and an aromatherapist, and I can tell you that that was never a part of the plan. Not that there is really a plan that you can follow so much for life, as I'm sure you guys can both say. There's been unexpected um, turns, twists and turns of your own lives, but um, I'll say basically I thought I would be a professional singer. There was no question in my mind that's where I was going, and I went to New York City for it. And by a strange situation of signing up for a physics class and going to day one and realizing that I had no idea what a vector was and how to calculate the angles of a triangle and all these things, I said, I'm going to try. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to try. I'm going to drop this class. And what was available to me was then slim options. But there was an Italian class. And I said, well, I sing Italian arias, and that's probably helpful, and that's not a total waste of time. So I'll sign up for that. And that eventually brought me to studying abroad in Italy, where I fell in love with all things Italy. I did also fall in love with an individual. So there was a love story there. Uh, but I did fall in love with the country, with the food, with the culture, with the vivaciousness. And that shifted a lot of things for me. Then I became dead set on going back to Italy. And I just wanted to be there. I didn't care how I could make it happen. I made sure to make it happen. So logically, oh, you're gonna ask a question. Well, yeah, absolutely. So uh, <laughs> Uh, Wolf, I think you need to sing her a little song just to make sure that we all know how terrible of a singer you are because she actually wanted to be a singer. And I've tried to convince you for so long, you're not a singer and you keep saying you are a singer. So sing her a song. I'm not, I'm not falling into this trap because the last yeah. time I sang, it was Baby Shark and you cut me off. All right, fair enough. And he, yeah. he may not be warmed up. You know, you really got to take time to warm up the vocals. So yeah, no, that might be one of the problems there. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. no, it, he doesn't need any warm up. It's terrible. No. It's yeah. absolutely terrible. Yeah, you were actually a classically trained singer. Yeah. So did you actually, does that mean kind of like just opera and that type of stuff? Did you actually get to like go on a 
stages and sing? Yeah. Um, so I never performed in a full opera, for example, but that was the training that I received in college. But I also sang like a little bit of jazz, some show tunes, some like rock and some pop here and there. Um, but I did actually really enjoy singing arias and some of that more like operatic stuff. And I had some opportunities in college. I joined an opera workshop, which sounds just about as nerdy as it is, but we had a good time singing some opera arias together. It's a lot harder than you, than it may seem. Actually, it the, seems hard and I can confirm that it's hard. Yeah. The only opera I actually know is Cavalleria Rusticana. Oh, now, did, now do you, have you heard of that? I have not. Oh, so you've never seen Godfather 3. Oh. So, that, so that's the only reason I know an opera, because <laughs> in Godfather 3, Michael Corleone's son is singing in Cavalry of Rusticana. So <laughs> that's the only opera I know is from the movies. Got it. Okay, i got to add that to my list. I know it's probably sacrilegious that I haven't seen yeah. Godfather 3, but... Um... Well, honestly, Godfather 3 sucks, but I'm a Godfather fan. Godfather 1 and 2 are really good, but in Godfather 3, the son of Michael Corleone wants to be an opera singer, and that's kind of the end point of that movie. Mm, okay. I want to add to my list. When we said we were worried about going off topic, that's one of them. Yeah, that's what's happening. I, I honestly, I honestly can tell you right now, I never thought we were going to talk about Godfather Three in hypnotherapy. But right, quick, change the topic to Madame Butterfly because I like that opera. I've seen that a couple of times actually. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really good ones, and actually, like they're based off of a lot of stories that we continue to tell today. You know, but. To, to bring it all back full circle. Let's see, where did we leave off? I'll try not to go too long in the story because it, it could really be a long one. But basically, I wanted anything and everything to do with Italy. So I decided to go to grad school for political science. I mean, it makes sense, right? No, it doesn't. But <laughs> oh, I didn't really... oh, oh, no, it makes total sense because right. I have a degree in political science. Oh, perfect. So... See? Oh, we... oh here we go. And, and now we're going to go down another rabbit hole. So. <laughs> we're just going to throw all the questions out the window and just yeah. start talking Godfather and politics. Um, that sounds terrifying. But basically, I spent two years in Italy uh, studying international relations, political science. And that brought me to then eventually get a job in corporate, which um, I spent like eight years in. And I didn't realize how stressful it, the job was. Um, again, this was never part of my vision, right? Like I thought I was going to be on Broadway. I thought I was going to be a singer. And then it went a totally different route. And I found myself doing change management consulting for one of the big four consulting firms. And I started to get some feedback that you know, I studied acting, I studied theater, so I'm a pretty expressive person. And I started to get feedback that my expressiveness was um, not appropriate in the workplace because I was stressed and I was aggravated and mad at certain points and I was showing it all in meetings. And they're like, you can't do that, May. That's not how this works. You know, you got to fake it till you make it. So basically, I realized that I had to do something and get my stress out, which brought me into yoga. And I realized that when I would go to yoga and then go to work either that afternoon or the next day, that I would just naturally 
be nicer. It was like much easier for me to access niceness. And it was, a, it was benefiting everyone. Shortly after that, I realized that it wasn't really, not that it wasn't a choice, but it wasn't like an option for me to not go, that I had to do something. I had to like move my body to move some of that out so that I could show up and be a kind person, basically, because it was a yeah. challenge. Hey, no, I, I love that. And by the way, before we go any farther, I got to tell you, my mother's middle name is May. Thank you. I am named after my grandmother, who her name was Mary, but they all called her May May. And so I was gifted May in her honor. So it's definitely an old name, older name. Yes. Yeah. My mom's a little bit on the old. Yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. And I'm a favorite person. Oh, me? wait, wait. Rightfully so. Are, are you saying I'm so old? <laughs> oh, no. That, uh, Yikes. Oh. Okay. I can oh. see how we could go there. But just, you know, I'm just getting the impression that she's a very wise woman. Nice save. Thank you. Yeah. So, May, can you tell us how this all kind of curved around to yes. aromatherapy and kind of hypnotherapy? I mean, I know a lot of people kind of get into aromatherapy. That's kind of quite an easy entrance when people go into all this type of businesses, essential oils and candles and stuff. But hypnotherapy, a yeah. little bit of a different matter. It is. Yes. So basically the, the doorway into that conversation is that I ended up deciding to do a yoga teacher training. And granted, I still am working in corporate. And for my final, I had to lead a yoga class, which makes sense. That's the whole point of the program. And a part of that was that I had to lead a meditation and I didn't have a meditation practice personally, so I, that was very triggering and nerve-wracking to go in front of a group of individuals and lead something that is foreign to me and that personally I felt like I can't meditate. That's not something that's accessible to me every time I try. My mind floats somewhere else and I'll get up and do tasks that I've been putting off for six months, like pulling the windows out from the house and washing the exterior of the glass and all these crazy things. Like I came up with the most amazing excuses to not sit down and meditate. So I said, I'm going to, there's a block here. It doesn't make sense. Meditation I know is good for me. And I don't know why I'm preventing myself from doing something that I consciously know is good for me. So I decided to try hypnotherapy to break through that block because it was not making sense to me. And I basically signed up for a package of hypnotherapy sessions and I had my first session and it blew me away. It was a massive emotional release that in my conscious mind didn't seem to relate to the topic. All, all that I knew was A, I had just accessed a place in my mind that I had never been before, that it was meditative, if not deeper than that. And B, there was a massive release of whatever it was that I had unconsciously been holding on to that wasn't serving me. So it interested me. And from that point on, I was just so curious what happened and why and how it all works. And there was a notification in my inbox shortly after that to enroll in the school. And I said, I'm, I think I'm going to do this. Again, I still work in corporate. I don't understand where this fits in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. It feels kind of crazy. I don't understand it, but I feel the calling. And so I'm going to say yes and figure it out later. Right. Did you have any barriers 
to kind of believe in going into kind of alternative treatment routes? Because you get a lot of people who, you know, they're kind of ingrained early on that, you know, science is the one way you treat everything through pharmaceuticals. You've got other people who have kind of religious barriers, you know, mm. going in different types yeah. of, you know, especially Eastern based practices. Were you kind of pretty clear of all that baggage to be able to, you know, run this and grasp it straight away? Yeah, that's a really good question. Thanks for asking. And I'll just say for me personally, I grew up in a household that probably was a little bit more open than maybe the average American household. You know, if if we burned ourselves in the oven, like pulling a pizza out of the oven, you burned your hand or whatever, my mom would say, well, go take a leaf off of the aloe plant on the windowsill and put it on your burn. That probably is not something that maybe the average mom says. So I, I did grow up in an environment where there was this correlation of plants, I suppose, um, in the in the household. But I will admit, at a certain point, we all got busy in life and we like diverged from that. So we all went a different way, and I don't know. It kind of we like all collectively forgot as a family. And what brought the essential oils back into my life was through my sister. And when she got pregnant, she realized, well, first, when you get pregnant, you like, you know, there's certain rules, like you can't have deli meats, you can't do this, you can't do that. And if you have a cough, like you can't take cough syrup anymore. If you have a headache, you can't take medicines anymore. And so she was like, well, what am I supposed to do? A, like, how am I supposed to treat myself? And B, when she had the baby, you know, she had this realization of like, nothing has ever touched this baby's skin, like nothing like I am the the gateway, the gatekeeper to this baby. And so like my choices are so important. And so she then got really big into essential oils and um, she's like person a person who likes to read and study things and read about the science and like learn about the in- interactions and how it works. So she got really big into them and I wanted to support her and I got into oils and then it almost like it was a bonding thing for the two of us. And just to really quickly link it to then the hypnotherapy, I decided to take on um, a study of, I decided to get my my certification in aromatherapy. That was a mouthful. And as I'm studying now hypnotherapy and aromatherapy at the same time, it was as if the programs were created together in a certain way. There were so many overlapping synchronicities, if you will, like the history of hypnosis, the history of aromatherapy, like both being linked back to ancient Egypt in that the Egyptians had what they called sleep temples and they practiced hypnosis and they also were buried with uh, their vases of essential oils and all of the interactions in Cleopatra, like loving frankincense. And that's actually like the charcoal burned frankincense is what she used to adorn her famous eye makeup, which is like that cat's eye, that black cat's eye makeup and all these interesting interlocking things. And also like the brainwave states of hypnosis and also essential oils and kind of getting into the physics and the chemistry and the biology of it all it was like, these are actually tools that are designed to go together. Um, And I know we'll probably talk more about that, but that's basically then how the two worlds converged for me. And, and then I have just been hooked ever since. Yeah. I think a lot of people have a diluted, um, I guess, opinion of what hypnotherapy is because on TV, you see the traditional, you know, patient laying on the couch and the, you know, hypnotherapist kind of waving a pocket watch or listen to a metronome and the normal speech of, you know, you're getting sleepy. And then on the other side, you have stage hypnosis and, 
you know, a lot of people don't yeah. understand the differences and, you know, whether stage hypnosis is real, it's always a trick or is mass hypnosis even possible. Right. So could you kind of walk us through that and kind of clear out all the misconceptions most people kind of have about the definition of it? Yes. Yeah. And those are such good questions. And um, they're questions that I get often because rightfully so, we're shown a certain side of what hypnosis, we're basically told what hypnosis is through movies and TV programs and things like that. And the true practice of hypnotherapy is oftentimes very different. So let me just first talk about stage hypnosis because for the most part, I think that's where most minds go. I know for me, graduating high school, we had like a senior all-night party and they had a stage hypnotist come in and that was our entertainment, like our gift for graduating. And, you know, everyone's up there and like one of my friends was like a, a washing machine and, you know, the, it's just kind of silly and fun. And so I think what's important to call out is that everyone is there under the agreement that it's there for entertainment purposes. And, you know, how it works is that the hypnotist is basically super observant of the entire environment from the moment that people are walking in. And oftentimes, you know, they'll begin a show of like, all right, who's excited to graduate high school this weekend? Yeah. All right. Who's from Massachusetts? Eh, that's where I grew up. Uh, and, you know, asks some questions to get people to say yes and see who's opting in already. And so then they're kind of dividing the audience between those who are opting in and those who are opting out. So then by the time that they get around to saying, you know, who wants to come up on stage, they're going to pull the hands that are agreeing to go up on stage from the smaller pooling of people who have opted in from the very start, because those are the people who are like really revved to go and like want to participate. Um, and then also it goes, it's important to say that they're, they're willingly participating, which is basically all that you really need in order to be hypnotized is to want to be hypnotized. And so that's what's happening there. And everyone's going up on stage under the universal under understanding that we're here to have fun and be silly and that they know that they're probably going to make an ass of themselves um, in some way, shape or form. So they're okay. all there to have fun. So basically what you say is people that can be hypnotized have to be willing to be hypnotized. Right. So, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking about myself right now and I'm like, mm. oh, you know, that might be interesting. Let me be hypnotized. And I might be totally agreeable to be hypnotized. But mm. even somebody like me who would honestly say, I don't believe I could be hypnotized, mm. but, but I could sit back and say, okay, I don't believe this could happen. Yeah. But you're saying you could do it. And I'm going to say, yeah, let let this happen. You think that could happen? Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to share this, a, a, not necessarily a story, but a, a little piece of information, which I think will help to answer this question. And, you know, one way that you could look at hypnosis is that it's technically, scientifically, a state of a brainwave state. It's the theta brainwave state. Um, so there's four main brainwave states. We all are probably all in a beta brainwave state right now because we're actively communicating and we're engaged and 
uh, we're awake and we're learning and things like that. And as soon well, as we st- well, no, let's stop because <laughs> Tristan's probably asleep right now. So sleeping with his probably, eyes open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably in like an alpha, theta, beta, whatever. Are you Fair just enough. Naming sororities off the top of your head now. Well, yeah, that that's basically what I'm doing. Right. right. Alpha, sigma, alpha, something like that. So assuming we're in beta, let's just start there. As soon as you start to focus on your breath or sit down to meditate or maybe you're journaling um, or begin some kind of mindful practice or start to relax, the brain shifts into an alpha brainwave state. So the beta brainwaves are an active you know, high peak type of brainwave, and then they start to slow down, you know, the waves and the amps and all of these things, they start to slow down. And with hypnosis, it's a process um, of relaxing the physical body to then allow that relaxation to the mental body, let's just say. And when that occurs, then the brainwave state slows down even more until you're in a theta brainwave state. And just to complete the circle, uh, to fully explain it, when you relax even deeper from a hypnosis state, you then are in delta, which is when you're sleeping. So, you know, there's a common misconception that hypnosis is sleeping and it doesn't do us a lot of favors that they used to say, you're getting very sleepy, you're getting very sleepy. They don't even say that anymore, but it's literally scientifically not what's happening. You're not asleep because you're not in Delta. You're in the brainwave state that's above that. And I also will point out that what is cool and interesting is that we go in and out of a hypnotic state all throughout the day, every single day. But at the very least, I can tell you two times for sure, which is when we wake up in the morning because we're waking up out of a delta brainwave state and working our way up into beta. So we're passing through theta. So sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes in the morning, like if I do something shortly after I wake up, I won't necessarily always remember that I did it. You're like, did I put the laundry into the dryer? I don't know, it was 6.30 this morning. I don't really remember because you're kind of in that like foggy, half there brainwave state. Um, And then, of course, at nighttime when you're going to bed, you're passing through that theta as you're starting to relax and go into delta. So we actually go in and out of theta all throughout the day, all day, every day. And uh, when we're watching a movie, for example, we're also entering into that theta brainwave state. So we are being hypnotized. We're entranced by the movie. And so, you know, you can argue that you're, you're totally entranced in that movie. And, you know, when the dog dies, you're crying. And when the guy gets the girl, we're like, yeah. And when the bus blows up from a bomb, you're like shaking in our seats. And yet we know at the same time that we're not in the movie, we know that we're in our chair. And, you know, so much so that if the smoke alarm were to go off while you're entranced in this movie, you would hear the smoke alarm because you would be like, oh gosh, I got to get up and leave because the smoke detector is going off. Like I got to go. You're not so entranced in what's happening. You're, you're fully aware of being into the movie and also in your, your current seat. So hypnosis is, is a little bit like that in that you're in this deeply meditative place and you're, you're both present in the moment because you're actually able to communicate with me as the hypnotherapist. I'm asking you questions. You're able to respond. You're both in that present moment, but you're also having an experience maybe somewhere else, if you want to put it that way. 
Right. So uh, I think it was very unfair for you to bring up dogs dying in a movie. I should have given a disclaimer. I apologize. Because yeah, that, that destroys me. If a dog dies in a movie, I immediately hate the movie. That is the most terrible movie to ever be made. I I don't, I do not want to see a movie where a dog dies. I I could have a hundred actual real people die in a movie I'm like, oh, okay. They probably deserved it. it no okay. dog does not. No dog deserves to die in a movie. Like I know. That. I'm sorry about so, that. I should have so, given a different example. No, no, that's fine. You, you didn't know that, but it's kind of interesting the way you bring this up because for men, easier to kind of get in this hypnotic state than women because mm-hmm. I'm thinking as you describe this, I can get distracted. Mm. I, I, I can see this with with women and maybe it's heterosexual males or or whatever. And I say, oh, okay, well, yeah, that that's literally probably a minor form of hypnotism that mm. when a beautiful woman shows up, it, you kind of get hypnotized, right? <laughs> Uh, It's a good question, and I'm not sure that I have an answer as to whether one of a gender is more hypnotizable than another. I don't know if I know the answer to that, but it's an interesting question. Now, just backtracking a little bit to the stage hypnosis thing, Mm. were you saying that uh, stage hypnosis is actually real in terms of they're genuinely being hypnotized? Because, you know, I've seen it sometimes on TV, and the hypnotist kind of gets them under within about five seconds. I mean, is that even possible? You know, somebody comes on stage, you can hypnotize them within five seconds and then start getting them to crawl around and bark like a dog and stuff. Yeah, it it is real and it is possible. And, you know, you will notice throughout a stage hypnotism show that they will send some people off the stage throughout the show so that by the end of it, they're left with maybe just a handful. And those are, there are people who are more hypnotizable than others. Um, it's called somnambulism, someone who can access a really deep state quickly. And so those are the people who are somnambulistic, are the ones who are left on stage. But um, there may be people at the beginning of the show who are faking it, maybe, who want to just participate and have fun. But the hypnotist most likely knows that and kind of sends them off the stage. But I, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert in that, in that, so I'm just kind of putting a guess out there about that. So I guess I can't really speak to that super uh, right. with experience. Can you actually be hypnotized to do something against your will? As mm. in, like, you weren't hypnotized and you have a moral objection to something. Yeah. And you want to under hypnosis, even though you agree to be hypnotized, be convinced to do something which would normally be against your values or whatever? Yes. Such a good question. Um, The answer is no. Your free will remains intact. So if it was possible for me to hypnotize someone else, for example, and make them do whatever I wanted because there is this misconception that hypnosis is mind control, I would definitely have a lot more money in my bank account I would have no mortgage and no debt. I probably would have a nicer car. Uh, I probably would have like a, some kind of rich husband or something. Like I probably would set myself up 
in a lot of ways if it was possible for me to control someone's mind and do things outside of their, you know, that they wouldn't typically do. So you could not hypnotize the wolf to talk like a normal American? No, I don't. I think that one is really ingrained. Well, the only reason I actually asked that was because sometimes the shepherd and I go into these little uh, discussions about, you know, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Mm. And as typical males, we always try and choose the one where we'd get away with the most amount of stuff, whether it be like robbing banks. And it's always a toss up between hypnotism and invisibility. But now you've told us we can't hypnotize people to do stuff against their will, then we're going back to invisibility. Yeah, I think I think the invisibility is a pretty good card. I think you should go with it. Yeah, and I will share one thing that's really interesting. At least I think it's interesting. I had a client once lie to me during a session and about something really silly. You know, I, I asked her what color something was that she was seeing and she said it was red, but really it was blue. And after our session, she was like, you know, I, I lied. I lied about what color I saw. I, it wasn't blue, it was red or whatever it was that she said. And I bring that up because I think it's such an interesting example of how much control someone has in a session because there is the misconception that I'm taking over your mind and that I'm in control and I'm in the driver's seat and you know you can make me do you can make me cluck like a chicken right is like the common misconception but the real truth is is that you know the, the client is so much in control that they can lie if they want to they're seeing red but they're telling me blue she chose to do that that was within her willpower and for whatever reason that is what felt good to her in that moment to say that Okay. Now, what role does um, aromatherapy kind of play in hypnotism? Because I wanted to bring this second part in because I know they kind of complement each other. At least most people assume they do as in setting the scene, having a common scent, you know, lavender or something. But that's pretty much where most of us our knowledge runs out in terms of aromatherapy, some lovely smelling candles and that's it. So I will say that what I do is, is unique in the combination of hypnotherapy and aromatherapy. I personally don't know someone else who is doing this practice and I'm like, guys, why? This is amazing. So there's a couple different ways that aromatherapy, that aromatherapy can be integrated with hypnotherapy that really accentuate the process. And Maybe before I even go into that, I, I do want to give a little bit of a shout out to just why it is that that makes sense. Because there there is, you know, we're just like, why would a fragrance like lavender make any kind of difference one way or another? Like, how does that make sense? So I want to back it up for just a second in that there is a difference between a fragrance and an essential oil. An essential oil has gone through either a steam distillation or a cold press like you would make olive oil or um, a CO2 extraction. One of the three ways that you would extract the oil from either the, the bark of a plant, the flower, the seeds, uh, the entire tree. However it is, you know, it's plant material in some way, shape or form and it's extracted. So what's happening is when you are inhaling an essential oil, for example, you know, it's these little tiny, tiny molecules of that essential oil that's basically riding on vapor or what have you, and assuming you're using a diffuser of some sort and it's going up your nose as you're inhaling it through your nose and it's interacting with the olfactory bulb. And it's kind of giving it a little tickle and saying like, hey guys, we're here. And it's going then in through the brain and it interacts with the limbic system of the brain 
which is also known as the emotional center. So it's interacting with the amygdala, it's interacting with the hypothalamus, the hippocampus, and these are the areas of the brain that house our emotions, um, emotional trauma, it houses our uh, learned associations. So if we associate popcorn, like the smell of popcorn with the movies, and that's a joyful experience, then every time you smell popcorn, you're more than likely feeling excited and joyful because your brain says that equals a happy memory, that kind of association. And then the hippocampus and the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus as well is linked to your nervous system and your endocrine system. So your nervous system is the one that says, hey, fight or flight, like you're about to be eaten by a bear, so run for your life. Or, hey, you're safe, you're good, you're calm. The parasympathetic nervous system's like, it's all good, you can relax, relax the shoulders down, release, relax, we're good. You know, you don't need to look over your shoulder, there's no bear coming. Whereas the endocrine system is basically the system that controls all of the all of the rest of the body. It's kind of like the the master board for all the rest of the systems. It controls a lot of our hormones and like our adrenals and all things like that. So the fact that the essential oils are interacting with this part of the brain is really significant. So I like to say that the fact that the essential oils have a fragrance is a convenient byproduct. Like that's not at all the point. It's convenient because it's lovely and it's fun and it's wonderful. They're beautiful. But really the point is that these are chemical constituents that we're inhaling that the body receives openly because they're biologically very similar to human cells, welcomes them in, and then they're, they're pretty intelligent and they kind of know where to go and what to do and how they interact with the body. Does right. that make now, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, other than throwing the odd kind of bath bomb into the bath, how can most normal people get involved in aromatherapy and actually make a difference in their lives rather than just like you said, having a smell they like, but what it's giving off might not be the best suited to what they necessarily need. Yeah. And, you know, I just realized I didn't fully answer your first question either. And I didn't really talk about specifically how aromatherapy can interact with hypnotherapy, but I think I can answer these two questions in one. So two for one. People who specifically say things like, I can't relax. I don't know if you know anyone in your life who's like, no, I'm a go, go, go kind of person. Like, I don't relax. I can't relax. As soon as I sit down, there's something else to do. My mind goes crazy. For someone like that, they're able to sit down and inhale either in a diffuser or you can just use oils in your hands and cup your hands over your nose and mouth and inhale. And Something like lavender, for example, would be a great example because it actually has been shown and proven to bring the brain from a beta brainwave state into an alpha brainwave state. So it's like, this is a terrible example, but you know, there's some people who maybe pregame before going to a football match or going out to a bar you know, they maybe have a couple shots at home to get things warmed up before going out, spend uh, a little we, less money. We, we Do you guys know what I'm talking never, about? We have never done that. Foreign concept. We, yes, foreign okay. concept. Foreign, well, you can Google it then maybe after this podcast to see what it's about. But the pre-gaming is a way to like, you know, you spend less money and you pre-game before going out. And the essential oils, I see that as a way to pre-game the mind, especially for those who think that it's hard to relax for them and they struggle with that. It allows them to get there 
And by, by telling the brain to then tell the rest of the body by activating that parasympathetic nervous system, say you're safe. No bears are coming after you. You can relax. And it allows the physical body to then allow that relaxation to happen. So that's one way. Um, another way, because of the interactions with the limbic system of the brain, it, it supports the releasing of emotions um, and the clearing of emotional patterns. And you also can create what's called an anchor, which is basically an associated learning, like we talked about with the popcorn, but you can create something like that. So here's an example. If you perhaps are someone who gets really aggravated in traffic, maybe you have road rage. Um, and that's really something that's challenging for you. You can in a hypnosis session, you can create this association between, I don't know, let's just say peppermint and, you know, being calm and, or whatever your affirmation is, you know, your desired state is to be calm when there's uh, traffic. And so every time then, because you have this anchor that's created between peppermint and calm and traffic, you can smell the, the peppermint and your mind goes to, you know, that state or that affirmation or whatever it is that you're working with, or you can use that affirmation and your brain can kind of like imagine that it's smelling peppermint. So you can kind of create this anchor state. So there's a couple ways that you can, but those are, those are my three kind of favorite ways that I think are the most impactful. And then to answer your question about the bath bomb, um, there is a lot of products out there. There are labeled lavender, but they're not made with an essential oil. So they're synthetically created in a lab because it's cheaper and it's more efficient and um, it's easier. And so it's worth a little bit of diligence of like reading the label if that's something that you care about. Um, for me, I do. Other people don't care. But you can, you know, if you have this anchored state between lavender being relaxing for you and you bought this bath bomb that is a lavender bath bomb, like you're going to totally allow that relaxation to double because for you, relaxation equals lavender. So you're like already bought in. You're like totally there. Does that make now, sense? Yeah. Now outside of certain psychosomatic type effects as in people, you know, they put on a candle, which is supposed to, you know, instigate kind of calming down and this stuff and people mm. kind of fix themselves. So calming down. You know, other certain people who aromatherapy just doesn't work on and not because they don't have a sense of smell as such, because I'm sure mm. some of these oils kind of actually bypass and go, your brain reacts to it more subconsciously than yeah. you're reacting to it consciously. But does it not just not work very well for some people, aromatherapy? If they are, like the, I have had some clients say, like specifically their partner is like, I don't, like what is all this? hubbub you brought into the house like i want nothing to do with this like it stinks like they kind of they make a big stink out of it is this they've married a jewish woman <laughs> i don't know i'm not <laughs> oh, sure what thought, that was but that was your impression of jewish woman from you <laughs> I, I don't know what that was but it was just uh, that was actually i think i was supposed to be a man and that really was like get this uh, stink out of the house so i get didn't, I clearly didn't make it to be an actor, and I guess you're seeing why. But there are some people who just want nothing to do with it. it. It maybe offends them in some way for whatever reason, and there is probably something psychologically to look into that as to why that is so triggering for them, but that's probably a whole other sidebar conversation. Um, but basically, essential oils can be helpful to anyone, but like anything, people have to want the change, you know? 
the the one thing that we know in life is that we can't ever force anyone else to do anything or to change or whatever. So if someone doesn't want it, we certainly can't force them either way. Yeah, but so what about the uh, the single moms that are sitting there at home on Facebook and then they just want to start selling essential oils? Yeah. What, what do you want to say to them? I mean, I, I see that all the time. They're like, oh, this is not an MLM thing. This this is real. Okay. I, I, I see that all the time with the yes. essential oil things. And it's always, you know, the MLM, it, it's kind of the new thing, right? Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. So, um, you know, MLM is multi-level marketing or a network marketing company for anyone who is not familiar with that um, terminology. And, you know, I, I am a network marketer myself, so I totally get that. And there's a lot of people in my world and in my Facebook feed who are stay-at-home moms who, you know, sling essential oils or however we want to call it. And, you know, I say, go for it. You know, if, if they have made an impact in your life and you have a story to, to share that, that could then impact someone else, then I would say, you know, it's, in, in some ways, we, this is why we have Yelp, right? This is why we have, um, this is why we Google restaurants before we go or check them out on Yelp or TripAdvisor, like, because we want a review. We want to know that someone else experienced them in a positive way and that it made a positive impact. We want to know. And that is the basis of network marketing or MLMs. Now, I will say, are there some folks out there who you know, slide into your DMs and are pushy salesmen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that tends to give a bad rep to the whole network marketing industry. But in theory, it's designed so that there isn't a brick and mortar shop that you're kind of the middle person and that you're able to share your story and connect with others through your personal transformation story and help others do the same, you know, like a waterfall effect kind of thing. Okay. Now, um, when I told um, some of my friends that you were coming on the show, some of them had some questions for you. Oh, wow. I gave, I gave them the normal response of go away and get your own show. Um, <laughs> okay. But um, actually, my girlfriend's uh, cousin had a few questions for you. Oh, wow. Uh, one was, what oils do you use in your own personal life and what do you mm. use them for? Okay. Wow. Great, great question. Um, did they mean like uh, like a lavender versus a lemon or versus like a brand? Um, you, or? you actually personally, knowing, okay. you know, obviously a, a wide range about aromatherapy, I mean, yeah. you know, what do you personally find effective in your own life to kind of... Gosh, you know? um, so many. I mean, just before me, I have like bottles and bottles and bottles. There's just so many, but I... Here's a great example. Um, you know, during certain times of the year, there, that wonderful yellow pollen falls on our, all of our cars and things outside and makes a big mess. And I don't know about you guys, but like the scratchy throat and the watery eyes and it just kind of, oof, it's like, it's crazy, especially down here in Texas. Um, I feel like we're out of it hopefully it was like a couple weeks ago. It was just crazy pollen. Yeah. So I like to use essential oils specifically for that. That really helps me to support my respiratory system to, um, to support 
like a, a detoxing of the body. And, you know, an, an oil like lavender is an adaptogen. It's also a natural antihistamine. So we're, we're able to inhale it or you can take it internally or even use it topically, but um, really inhaling it or um, doing internal ingestion for this matter is it's how it's most effective, but can be really super supportive. And the three together are so wonderful. So that's like one example, but I really like to diffuse use a diffuser. So I'm, I'm inhaling the oils at night at bedtime. I feel like it's a life hack because I, I have to breathe. Like there's no question about that. I'm going to stay alive as I'm sleeping. So why not utilize this time where I know that I'm going to be breathing in this one singular space for ideally eight hours, but typically not quite eight hours. So, you know, inhaling something like cedar wood, to really help support a really deep sleep if that's something that you struggle with. Um, or if I'm feeling like I'm starting to get under the weather, there's certain oils um, that are great to support the immune system. Yeah, I feel like I could really go on for a while, but I'll share one other tip that I feel like people don't really talk about and I think is also another life hack, which is to apply essential oils to the bottoms of your feet. And that might sound kind of weird and crazy and like, what do you mean? But I mean literally the toe pads, like the bottom of your feet, your calves. And for those who have ever maybe gone into get a pedicure, maybe you've seen on a wall like a reflexology foot chart. But if you look at a picture, and this is like ancient Chinese medicine, assuming this is the inside of the foot and this is the outside, this is uh, linked to like the spine. And then the big toe is linked to the brain and the index and the middle toe are linked to like the sinuses, the eyes, the ears, things like that. The callus of the foot is your sciatic, your sciatica and your stomach and your kidneys. So basically it's a map of your entire body that can be mapped to the bottom of your feet. And so if you have like an upset stomach or, you know, if you want to get some, if you want like focus and concentration, whatever it is, you can map it out on the foot and then pair it with a specific oil and, and support it in that way. And it's also, I think, really fun and a really neat way to kind of link the body systems with essential oils. Right. Now, where do you get your oils from? Because I'm assuming there must be a certain minimum standard that, you know, you want when you use, and I'm sure there are charlatans out there selling mm -hmm. stuff that isn't effective. There must be because, you know, people find a way to scam absolutely everything. So yeah. are there specific online stores or actually physical stores that you would recommend uh, to go to? Yeah. So I am aligned with a company called Young Living and they've been around since 1994. So they're the oldest um, essential oil company. They've been around for, uh, what is that math? Like almost 30 years. And um, they are mostly concerned about quality and they are concerned about farming and sustainability and really respecting the earth and the plants and and the harvesting and distilling of these oils they're one of the i'm sorry they are the only essential oil company that owns their own farms which is really significant because they they are able to know that seed 752 went into crop six which was distilled you know which was pulled out of the ground on this day and then went into distillery machine 
H and, you know, bottled in bottle 116874. Like they can track all of that data and it's really important to them. They do like all this third party testing and make sure that it's um, of a certain quality because, you know, the, the, the truth is, is that because these come from plants and plants are alive, anything that is alive, it moves and anything that moves can be measured. So really what it comes down to, and I know that this is maybe where some people get lost because they're like, you guys are a bunch of hippies and all you ever do is talk about energy, but that is science y'all. So the, everything has a frequency to it, which is how it also links up with the body system and how it interacts with our organs and our body overall and, and, and you know, our aura too, if we want to go there, but I don't want to lose everybody. So it's really important that there is a certain set of quality and that the distillation process is appropriate for lavender because it's going to be different from lavender as it is for jasmine. It's going to be different from lemon peels as it is for eucalyptus leaves. It's going to be a different temperature. It's a different duration of time. Uh, and there's like one distillation. It's not like multiple times to get as much yield out of it. So basically, if if you see, you know, essential oils that are in a dollar bin, or if you see essential oils that are all the same price, you know that there is something fishy going on there because it's impossible from an effort perspective for jasmine to cost the same as lemon. It's just not never going to happen. Right. Now, just expanding on the hypnotherapy thing, yes. uh, the Shepherd and I normally have the kind of Scooby-Doo approach to this type of thing in that, you know, we've also been fooled by the oversimplification of, you know, mm. certain things to do with hypnosis. So just kind of skip into hypnotic regression or regressional hypnosis, mm. whatever. Can you explain exactly what that is, how effective it is and what the limitations of that are? Yeah, there are a couple of different styles of hypnosis or hypnotherapy that are out there. And there is some different uh, schools of thought. So I think it's it makes sense that it's a topic of debate because I think even in the community itself, in the hyp hypnotherapist community, it's a topic of debate. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Dispenza at all, um, but he is a big science guy. He's a quantum physics science and like super into brainwave states. And I'm not sure that he's necessarily a hypnotist, but I also kind of think that he's a hypnotist because he certainly speaks the language. But he is of the school of thought that basically you don't need to ever regress to past memories in order to heal. Whereas someone like Marissa Peer, um, her entire um, technique is based on regression therapy and that you know, you've got to go to the root cause in order to heal. And I'm not sure exactly, I don't think I agree with Either one, I sit somewhere in the middle. I have regressed people back to, you know, the, the first time, the source of, of a challenge or an issue that they've experienced. And we've, you know, gone through a process of kind of reframing that entire experience and bringing healing into it. And it's been wonderfully healing for them. And yet I've also worked with clients who had issues that they know stem from their childhood and there's absolutely no need for us to go back to re-experience it because they've experienced it once, they lived through it, there's no need to dig up that grave and you know, we're able to experience healing and a reframing of that situation too without regressing back to the memory. So it is real, you can regress, but it's not always necessary. So I guess maybe that's my Switzerland answer for you. 
anybody that talks about hypnotherapy and, and being hypnotized, we got to bring up UFOs and aliens, right? So, <laughs> so there's all these people that go under hypnosis mm. and say, oh, I got uh, abducted by aliens. And then all of a sudden that gets proven because oh, this hypnotherapist put me under hypnosis and said, yes, I went on this spaceship. Mm. And so I think it could be good. It could be bad based off the fact of trying to prove hypnotherapy. So where do you stand on that? Wow. Uh, I wasn't expecting that question. I, I have never had an interaction with a client looking to have any kind of interaction with UFOs or aliens or confirm that they exist or use hypnosis to confirm that they were abducted or anything like that. I don't really know what to say about that. I, I almost feel like I'm more prone to hearing stories about aliens and UFOs after like an ayahuasca ceremony more so than, uh, than in the hypnosis world. So I don't know. I'm, but you've piqued my interest and now, now I want to like go down some YouTube uh, holes, I think. Yeah. Now, have you seen the movie Inception at all? I have seen the movie Inception. Right. Now that's uh, one of my favorite movies. Is it mm. actually possible during hypnosis to plant false memories or plant an idea that you convince the person is purely their organic idea and you didn't, you know, put that in their head? Yeah. Um, gosh, it's, it's such a good question. Um, and I know a lot of people have seen that movie, so they probably are, are curious of that too. And I think some of that is fear mongering. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, but with an asterisk, in that, you know, I, I recently was listening to a podcast episode where two hypnotherapists were kind of talking about a similar topic and they, they brought up the point of, you know, you can in a certain way plant in some kind of false memory in a way and hear me out because I don't want this to sound like a hypnotherapist has any kind of malice in their intentions, but there's a difference between, let's just go with the example of regressing someone back to their childhood and asking the question, you know, you're there and you see your father and you're there before your father. And you know, the hypnotist asks the client, is your father angry versus asking the question, and how does your father show up? Those are two very different questions. And by asking, it's like leading the witness, you know, is kind of what I'm insinuating by asking the question. Is that kind of guided meditation in a way, or is that something completely different? I would say completely different in, in that, you know, hypnosis, hypnotherapy is, is meditation, but with a goal. So it, it is guided in that, you know, there is typically some kind of progressive relaxation. At least that's, that's my style, which is that we're relaxing the physical body so that we can relax the mental body. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Bring me back. So, so, so basically I'm asking, what's the difference really between hypnotherapy and guided meditation? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thank you. So it can, it can be shown literally on that brain, brainwave map. So for my friends who are really into, you know, science and things being proven by, you know, wavelengths and science and things like that, meditation tends to happen more in that alpha brainwave state. Whereas, uh, hypnosis is more of that theta brainwave state. You can have some alpha as well, um, but the theta is a level deeper. So 
when we're in hypnosis, when we're in that theta brainwave state, that's when we're able to access the subconscious mind, which is where we house our thoughts, our patterns, our beliefs, our habits. And um, we're able to plant the seeds of change directly there. Whereas meditation is more of quiet, bringing in quiet and coming into a partnership with your thoughts, you know, not eliminating your thoughts, but just coming into a partnership with them and sitting with your thoughts. Whereas hypnosis, I think is a level deeper than that, in that you are going in there, you're saying cool thoughts, you guys, you can stay if you want, but we're just going to do our thing and go even deeper and have an interaction with the subconscious mind. So it's like a level deeper than meditation. Right. Now, a little bit off tangent, is there actually a regulatory body which kind of covers, you know, the licensing of hypnotherapists that, you know, there's a minimum standard or something you have to show that you're not just, you know, again, a charlatan or a snake oil salesman? (laughs) Yeah, Um, that is a, a good question. And there are, admittedly, I don't know all of the the institutions that kind of work with the schools, but basically the school that you attend to learn hypnotherapy has to go through an accreditation process. And there is a certain amount of hours that they have to meet, whether in person or online. Um, and they have to have their curriculum approved and go through, you know, kind of that rigorous check. So the school itself is accredited and anyone who then attends that school can then therefore go to the, the mother company and a- apply for their certification after they've done their final. So for me, I'm certified through the International Association of Therapists, of Counselors and Therapists, IACT, and it's an international association. But I know that there are a couple of other associations, but I don't know them off the top of my head. Right. So what do you find is the um, biggest misconception people have about hypnotherapy and aromatherapy? Because I'm sure you must get people come to you because they've tried various things that hasn't worked for them. They may have had a recommendation. They may have read something on the internet and they come to you, but they've got completely the wrong idea about what it is and what it isn't. What's the most common Mm. thing that people say, which, you know, they've just got completely wrong. Mm, Yeah. Thanks for that. You bring up a really good point in that more often than not, people who come to me are already at their wits end. They've tried everything else. Nothing yet has worked and they're like desperate for change. And what I would love is for something like hypnotherapy and or aromatherapy to be the first thing that someone tries. Why not? It, they're both completely natural. It involves your brain and plants. And there is, there's not really negative side effects. You know, that's like one of the most beautiful things is that no harm, no foul. Um, so that's kind of one of the first things is like, why wait until you're at this point of complete desperation You know, for someone, for example, who has like a fear of flying and it's like the week before they're getting on a plane and they're absolutely like they can't eat because their stomach is like in knots and they can't sleep because they're thinking about it, you know, just like in complete turmoil. Why get to that point? Why does this have to be last? Um, So that would be one thing. And, you know, just the, the typical question and concern is that hypnosis is the process of someone else taking over your mind and it couldn't be any 
further from the truth. Like you, you are the person that remains in complete control of that session. You are the one who's in control. In fact, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. I'm merely a guide. All that it is is that I'm offering up suggestions and you're either opting in or you're opting out. It's like if we're driving in a car together and you're the driver, I'm the passenger, and you're like, hey, can you bring up the directions? Yeah, sure thing. I've got the Google directions, you know, and I'm telling you to take a left, take a right, go straight here. And that's, that's basically what's happening. I'm, I'm guiding you. And if I tell you to go left and you look left and you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to go left. I'm going to go straight here. Cool. What happens? The GPS you know, course corrects and we find another route to still arrive at the destination, but we didn't need to take that left. It was just a suggestion. So I share all of that to say that it's, it's the, the one who is receiving the client is in complete control. Their willpower remains intact and it's a completely natural process that you go in and out of each and every day. So, you know, why not utilize something that you're already doing now, just do it with intention and with your goal that you have in mind. Now, do you ever find yourself shaking your fist at the TV if you see a movie or a TV show and it gives a completely false representation or, you know, you're sitting there with friends and you say, well, that's a bloody bunch of crap, you know, I mean, does it kind of uh, trigger you a little bit when you see it just completely bastardized? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, and an, an unexpected big part of my role as a hypnotherapist is to disband a lot of these misconceptions. But, you know, what I think is interesting is, you know, overall, I see this role uh, of being a hypnotherapist as a process of deprogramming the mind, because a lot of the fears that we have and the reasons why we do things or don't do things are all based off of limiting beliefs in some way, shape, or form, whether we know them consciously or subconsciously. And so it's a process of becoming aware that these limiting beliefs are our stories or things that have been programmed into us. And there may have been positive intentions behind behind that programming, but you know, we arrive at a point where we have a vision for our future selves and how we want to live our lives and our, our current mindset may no longer match the route to get to where we want to be. So it's a really liberating process to become aware that that is a limiting belief and that we can deprogram it from the mind and plant the seeds of transformation that we do want so that we can flourish and blossom. Now that makes total sense to me. So with all this said, what would be if you had this like uh, two minute conversation, right? That you could say, hey, let me explain to everybody why this works. What would you say? Let me explain to everyone why this works. That's the question. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the hypnotherapy, the aromatherapy, if you had like this, it, and I'm not going to limit you to two minutes, by the way. But it, but if you had this like infomercial, you had this little piece on, you know, whatever channel that you could say, hey, this is why all this works. What mm. would be your explanation to say, hey, listen to me right now. This is why all this works. Wow. Okay. No pressure. Um, you no, know, what- no, no, no pressure. And, and now I'm, I'm going to just kind of, you know, expound a little bit because I know you're trying to gather your thoughts because we didn't prepare you for this or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, th- there's a lot of people listening to this that 
I mean, it, myself, like it, the way our podcast works, Tristan believes in a lot more than I do. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't believe in any of this. Tristan it does a lot more research. Or I'm sorry, the wolf. Yeah, it, it, we used to believe in hiding our names, but the wolf believes in so much more of this than I do. So I'm sitting back and I'm like, I don't believe in any of this. I don't believe in essential oils. My mm-hmm. wife has some friends that tried to get them to buy into, I think it was doTERRA or something uh-huh. like that. And it was like, oh yeah, go sell this. I'm like, yeah, that's hogwash. I, you know, I, I, I just don't buy into any of it. I don't believe mm-hmm. in hypnotism. I don't believe in any of this, right? So I'm the skeptic. The wolf it is the one that kind of delves into this a little bit more and says, oh, there might be more to this than you actually realize. So convince me that there's something here other than tricking somebody in a mm. magic show that they can, you know, bounce around as a chicken, like he brought up before. But what what is there to this that is more than just the MLM version, the magic trick version? It, what is there to this? So, you know, when it comes down to MLM and network marketing, you know, the beauty of those companies is that you are an independent contractor and you can run your business however you want. That's like a pro. You might argue that that's also a con because then someone has the the liberty to do whatever it is that they want to in order to sell those products. And if it becomes about the sales, it steps out of a place of heart-centric support and and help and really believing in the product and the solution. So I think there's something to be said for, you know, that there's that icky feeling when you feel like you're just being sold to because you they're seeing dollar signs when they talk to you. That never feels good no matter what industry that they're in. You know, we always kind of give a bad rep to, you know, used car salesmen. And I think maybe you guys even called one out on your podcast in the past and someone said like, what's wrong with the used car salesman? Maybe that was another podcast, but you know, and what is wrong with the used car salesman? They, they had a job to do, but we always kind of make that association um, that there's, there, someone's trying to trick you, which is what you said. And my intention is never to trick anyone. So to your point of like, prove to me why this works. And quite honestly, it is, science. You know, I know that's a really big topic now. Like, do you believe in science? This is the original science. Before it was labeled alternative medicine, it just was medicine. Someone came around and decided that it was now alternative. And the alternative label got slapped on it because you can't copyright a lavender plant. You can't trademark a Douglas fir. There, it's nature. It, it's always changing. The roots are communicating to the mycelium networks and, you know, reacting to peak seasons of sun and rainy seasons. And all of these plants are changing every year. They can't be trademarked. However, you can look at the chemical constituents that make up lavender, that make up fur, that make up lemon rinds, and you can recreate it synthetically in a lab. 
And when you recreate it synthetically in a lab, because you know it's the the carbons and the oxygens and the hydrogens and how they all bond, like that's that's what it is. You recreate it in a lab and you synthesize it and it's cheap and you can keep redoing it and then you can sell it and make a profit and continue to do so and it's trademarked and now it's yours. And that became medicine. And then everything else that comes from nature got pushed aside and said, well, now you're alternative. And there's a negative connotation to the word alternative. And it got separated from any doctoral books um, for, you know, if you're going to, to university, become a doctor, they're not studying alternative medicines. That's not a part of the program. And so when we go then to see a doctor, a Western doctor and say, you know, help us, they're not going to reference their alternative medicine book. It lacks the validity from the Western world because it, they're, they've now been made completely separate. And granted, there are some doctors and nurses who do interact with them, um, which is wonderful and amazing when that does happen because you can have it all. You can have both if you'd like. Um, but I, I, I do feel it's important to call out that we didn't someday just come up with how to make a Tylenol. You know what I mean? We weren't like, I mean, we're smart people, but like we weren't just like um, Tylenol. Like we, we figured out like plant matters and the chemical constituents and we, and we learned how to synthesize them and recreate them in a lab. And like basically all that we do is based off of nature. So the services that I offer are going back to nature to go back to the source and our bodies and minds are very receptive to that because they're from a chemical constituent from a biological perspective they're very similar or else our body would say that's a foreign antibody you know it would reject it and say get out but instead they're, they're welcomed like i think our bodies are craving this and for me personally it's been a godsend to feel like i'm reconnecting with nature and to really respect the, the earth that we live on, I feel a lot more respect for it now than I ever did the more that I work with plant medicine and with my own mind and my own body. It, it makes me curious of what more is possible. You know, I know the shifts that I've experienced in myself from hypnosis. And if I'm able, if I'm able to do that myself to my own mind, then what else is possible for me? It's a really exciting place to be. No, and I totally get that because uh, what you're basically saying is you can't make a huge profit off it. You can't make the profit that the pharmaceutical companies can sell you a drug and something like that. It, there's not that huge profit that there is some company somewhere that can create a company sell stock and everybody makes this huge profit off of am right. i off yeah there's or am i yeah off? no yeah there yeah there's definitely that element of it it we can't there you know there's no stock for lavender it's it's never going to happen it, we can't make a massive profit off of that and so yeah there are opportunistic you know charlatans who who then say well let's how can we do this and there are the the other companies that say well whatever i'll just pause there but yes i i do think that that's a part of it but right. i also just want to give the disclaimer that i'm not tur i'm not poo-pooing western medicine i just want to be clear about that it may sound like i am saying it's one or the other and i i disagree i i think they both can live together but um, 
Um, but I do disagree with the negative connotation behind alternative medicine. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty firm so, believer in a plant medicine. I mean, you know, I, I do actually do quite a bit of research and where possible, I won't take an over-the-counter product or go and get a prescription because I'll prefer to look up something which works better. And, you know, whether you go from garlic being such a great, hmm. you know, a plant for, you know, internal and external things, you know, apple cider vinegar, mm. uh, you know, a lot of painkillers originally came either from tree leaves, plant leaves or bark from trees, right. you know, everything has been, like you said, kind of derived, studied, and then they've tried to produce a synthetic version on mass so they can actually make some money out of it. In England, there used to be this plant called a stinging nettle and it was everywhere mm -hmm. in the country. And if you got stung by it, you know, creams and stuff, which you could buy over the counter, didn't really work. But there was a plant called a dock leaf, where if you pulled this leaf off and you rubbed it on your skin, it would get rid of the stinging, you know, within minutes. And there was wow. nothing you could buy, you know, over the counter, which would work anywhere near as well as that. And, you know, mm. it's the same way for simple things like, you know, somebody wants to get rid of warts, you know, putting raw garlic on it underneath a Band-Aid works so much quicker than, you know, these ointments you can buy because they're basically trying to replicate what nature already does but they can only ever get so close because you know to synthetically reproduce the exact qualities a plant may have they can get pretty close but i find the skepticism is fueled and funded by an industry which is trying to push you pills rather than allowing you to have something simple which isn't going to be toxic to your body you know, and actually benefit you a lot more, you know, in terms of reduction of inflammation. I mean, let's take mm -hmm. CBD oil. I mean, there are very few things which reduce inflammation better than CBD oil. But you look at the right. number of products on the market, you know, and these pills which cost, you know, $4,000 to reduce internal inflammation, but something like a mixture maybe of CBD oil and some apple cider vinegar over a period of time might in some people do exactly the same thing without the harm of you know, this long-term connection, you mm -hmm. know, commitment to these drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you said that really, really beautifully. I agree. Well, I disagree because he never says anything beautifully, you know, because <laughs> he enough, has that, he has that weird accent that nobody in America understands, but may we certainly appreciate you joining us, you know, on, on this podcast we would like to offer you just kind of this in piece to, you know, tell everybody where they can find you. And we, of course, we know you have your own podcast, so we want you to promote that podcast as well. So this in piece, this is all you may. So thank you so much. And thank you guys for having me shepherd and the wolf. I had so much fun. Really. You guys are great. And again, Texas rules. Um, of course. Well, wait. Yeah. Texas rules. Absolutely. <laughs> so we appreciate that. UK sucks. Texas rules. Yeah, I agree with that though. <laughs> okay. I, I figured that was a pretty neutral ground for the rest of us. We've already <laughs> agreed to disagree about which of the, of the te Texas states is best. So I just figured I'd go for the whole state thing. So um, but yeah, I would love to invite you all to uh, to connect with me if anything I've said has resonated with you. Um, we can continue the conversation. I am on Instagram at maydv.cht. 
And I do also have a podcast which uh, goes a little bit deeper into what actually does happen in hypnotherapy. And I interview um, current day hypnotherapists to ask them why they tried hypnosis for the first time, because at some point they had to try it for the first time. And what happened? What was that first time like? What did it make available or possible for them? And, um, and how has it shifted things for them? And that podcast is called Stories from the Subconscious. And you can find it basically wherever you find your podcasts. So I'll share all of that to say that's pretty much how you can stay connected with me. Um, my website is maydv.com. If you are so inclined to pick up some sessions, you're more than welcome to. And I'll pause there. That's, that's basically all of my connections. Well, thank you so much, May. We certainly appreciate this. And of course, you know, we've been friends, uh, you, I, and the wolf for a while. And so we certainly appreciate you taking your time to be on our podcast. And maybe you'll invite one of us onto your podcast. Hey. Prob probably me, not so much the wolf, because nobody can understand him in Texas. But <laughs> With all that said, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd, and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd podcast. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, thewolfandtheshepherd.com, to your friends and colleagues. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes when you get a chance. Check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for additional content. Join us next time for another episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Ooh.